G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you join us on this auspicious Easter Monday here in Australia to talk about Legend of the Sea Devils, which recently dropped on ABC iView for us, Dave. Yes, up first thing on Easter Monday to watch Legend of the Sea Devils and then to tell all of you wonderful listeners what I thought of it. Mm. We always start our hot takes, which we haven't done for a little while, so maybe we're a bit rusty, but we always start them, Dave, with a word of the week. Do you have a word of the week this week? Uh, I do have a word of the week, but first let me just say mm-hmm. it's been so long since I've done a hot take yes. that the ABC iView app on my television had actually logged me out. Oh dear. And I had to work out what my username and password was before I could watch this. So it shows how long since I've used the ABC <laughs> app on the TV, which would have been even of the Daleks. So it's been a while. Uh, but my word of the week is anticipation. Is that Rocky Horror style? Anticipation. Oh, why not? Okay. Uh, my word of the week, Dave, is blender. Blender. Hmm. Shall we kick okay. off? Uh, yes. Um, look, Rob, you watched it first, so I'll let you say first, what did you think of this? I, I did watch it first, Dave, so I'm about 48 minutes up on you and having thoughts about this. <laughs> I've got to say, I was very excited when I saw this was a co-written thing with Ella Field and Chris Chibnall. I didn't know this was a co-written thing before the episode popped up, and her name was ahead of Chibnall's, and generally, when other people have been involved in a story rather than just Chibnall, they've been good. Think of Village of the Angels, for example. Unfortunately, what unfolded on my TV screen wasn't Village of the Angels. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Look, I was also quite excited to watch this. I thought the preview looked good mm-hmm. as i'm sure you recall i was incredibly down on eve of the daleks i i frankly would have turned that off had it not been for the fact that i was doing a review for the doctor who show mm-hmm. i definitely thought that legend of the sea devils was better than that i thought it was fine uh i didn't think it was an instant classic i didn't think it was particularly amazing but at no point did i want to turn it off mm-hmm. i was carried along by the adventure perfectly well now I could spend the next half hour picking many, 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 many faults in this, and there are certainly faults that I'm going to raise. So you're going to leave it to me to do that. (laughs) But, but, as a straightforward adventure, I thought it was fine. Right. I I think if this had been a middle episode of a standard season, we would have all gone, yeah, that was fine. I think that its biggest problem is being the big, much-anticipated Easter special that's really got to hold us over for another six months. It probably, therefore, had some higher expectations, and I certainly don't think it matched those. Well, you know, at 48 minutes in runtime, and that includes credits and the Next Time trailer and all of that stuff, it is the shortest special we've had since the show returned in 2005. Yeah, there you go. And I think that probably reflects its past history and not necessarily being a special, and it probably also reflects some of the budget constraints that are on the show at the moment, Mm. having to produce in the tail end of a pandemic. Exactly. Look, I'll I'll kick off with some thoughts and we'll just see where they take us. Is it just me or did it feel like some scenes were missing in this thing? You know, from, from basic stuff, like the way the TARDIS crew caught that sea devil in the net, where was the setup for that? Would it have hurt to have had a sneaky nod between the crew and maybe a quick shot of the net before they pulled it? Through to even bigger stuff, like where we'd return to a situation that we'd been a few scenes earlier, and it seemed to have advanced in our absence. 
I'd be like, hey, did, did I just miss something? Was I glancing, you know, at the dog or out the window or something and I missed something? I, I know that style can create a very pacey kind of episode, but there were moments in this where I felt it was really off in places, like I'd missed something, but I actually hadn't. I certainly understand the point you're making, and there were a number of scenes like that, which I, I, I see that that could have been a bit annoying. However, I do come at that from the other direction, which is, as I say, having spent a large part of Eve of the Daleks just going, will you just get on with it? <laughs> I was actually very happy that this special did just get on with it. And again, as a very superficial, just fun, pacey little adventure, I thought that worked. Mm-hmm. Given that we have often criticised Chibnall for his lack of a red pen, I thought the fact that this was a bit pacier was good. And let's face it, had there been more, it would have been lots of very boring Chibnall-written scenes of people explaining what they're doing. So, Rob, I'm just going to say, I don't disagree per se, but be careful what you wish for. Yeah, very true, very true. My notes are all over the place. Obviously, this is a hot take, dear listener. Uh, Let me throw something else up there. The statue. If you're imprisoning a sea devil in the statue, why do you make the statue look like a triumphant sea devil? The sea devil's massive and he's grabbing this tiny human like he's so awesome. It seems a really weird motif to use. If you're making a statue of something you've conquered and captured, wouldn't you make it a human standing over the sea devil or something? Especially in this era of history, I I found that a very strange choice of, of statue. I didn't think of it like that, but you're absolutely right. Um, As in, I didn't sort of, it didn't occur to me. I was too busy looking at something else that was annoying me at that point. Oh. Is it because of the way they think of sea devils as being these devil-like creatures? So they sort of a a deification of them. Look, maybe that could be my excuse. But my biggest issue at that was I was looking at the CGI of the statue falling apart and thinking, Mm. wow, that CGI is really bad. (laughs) And unfortunately, it didn't get much better in the episode. And look, I I want to get to a positive in a moment because there are positives. But since we're not doing a negative, the CGI for this, I thought, was really, really poor. Even the under the sea shot? Oh, that wasn't bad. Okay. Mm. But, but, But lots of little effects. I just sat there and thought that looks really cheap. Yeah. Yeah, sort of a game of two halves in that respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, let's talk about a positive. Okay. Uh, certainly for me, the Sea Devils in their uh, depiction, the way they looked, the way they spoke, mm-hmm. um, the way they moved, I thought the Sea Devils worked really, really well. I think that if you were somebody who didn't come into this story with any real knowledge or background of Doctor Who lore or of what the Sea Devils were, you would have thought that's a really cool exciting interesting monster i think that in an era that hasn't really done monsters all that much and all that well Mm. i was really happy to see just a good old-fashioned monster now i've got some caveats to that which i will come to but but i thought they looked good that helped to carry a sense of adventure in the episode which helped to keep me interested Mm. all right then let's swing away from that and talk madam ching Because the first trailer for this long ago had people absolutely wetting themselves. Oh my god, it's a woman pirate from history. I've never heard of her, but I'll Wikipedia her. Oh wow, you know. And and in the end, Madame Ching in this episode could have been any woman on a ship. I learned zero about her. There are some pseudo-historicals out there where you learn an interesting thing or two about the famous people in them. Even Unicorn and the Wasp had the disappearance of Agatha Christie in it, which was a real thing that happened to Agatha Christie. 
but not here. I felt Madame Ching could have just been generic pirate lady. Yeah, I think that's correct. Had I not been informed by social media that she was a real character from history, I would not have assumed that she was. I would have thought she was a creation for this episode. Mm. So that that's a drawback, but within that, I thought it was a character that worked. She was one of the stronger parts of the episode. Um, not a lot of depth there, but there wasn't a lot of depth to any of this. This was a very <laughs> straightforward adventure. Um she was fine, like a lot of things. She was fine. <laughs> Are you making a pun there when you talk about depth and the sea devils underwater? <laughs> no, but I, I, I wish I was. <laughs> nice. Look, the sea devils' plan, let's talk about that. On face value, turning the earth upside down and flooding it seems totally bonkers and on point for Doctor Who. But, and I can't take credit for this because I read it online, but I'll certainly repeat it, I'm not sure how the Silurians would feel about being drowned. These two are, they're, they're cousins, aren't they? They're pals. Okay. <laughs> right. How do you feel about that? Let me let me segue off that. I'll, I'll start by saying I thought the plan was bonkers, but in a good Doctor Who kind of way. Yes. I, I don't think they were literally going to turn the planet upside down, just reverse the poles, and that would cause enough chaos to melt the ice caps or something. I, I didn't think it was literally they were going to flip the planet. Maybe, I, maybe I'm being generous there. I don't know. Uh, look, look again, for a superficial run around with a monster, it was fine. But, mm-hmm. okay, so let me get, get to the, my big issue with the episode. Generally speaking, as somebody who is a big fan of the Silurians and of the Sea Devils, mm-hmm. who enjoys Warriors of the Deep, what this was was a very superficial run around with a monster. That's fine. But the Sea Devils and the Silurians are generally not superficial run arounds with monsters. Yeah. These are monsters or aliens or a species, however you want to classify them, who are renowned in Doctor Who for having considerable depth, for having depth of character, for having depth of motivation, for having a good backstory. And that was completely lacking from this. We got a very quick sort of wave around, oh yes, they're from our planet in the past, and the goes, oh no. And that mm. was that was it. There was no sense of do the sea devils have a point? There was no sense of, is mankind in some way in the wrong, if only by accident? There was no sense of real personality with the sea devils. And there was therefore no bigger sense of these are people are coming from a bigger world. As you said, we didn't get the sense that there were Silurians out there. We didn't get the sense that these sea devils had come from any sort of colony or why that colony had woken up or what their motivation was, or they wanted to resurrect their species, they might as well have just been a bunch of aliens that crashed in the sea 20 years ago. Uh, That, to me, was a huge misstep. Now, again, I'm careful what I wish for, because I think had we tried to give that to Chris Chibnall, we would have got something very similar to his Silurian episode a few years ago. (laughs) And uh, it didn't work out all that well, because I don't think he really got it. Mm. But I thought that for a... For, for, for all the beautiful way in which they depicted the Sea Devils, they missed out on the point of the Sea Devils. Yeah, the only thing I'll say to that is the reason they were sort of reawoken was the breaking of the statue. But as to why they were getting around and stealing the pirate ship hundreds of years ago and then went to sleep again only to be reawoken when the guy, the chief Sea Devil, got hatched out of the, the statue, I'm not entirely sure about that. That was sort of glossed over. No, no, absolutely. That, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like, right. When, when he was around two centuries ago, when they first awoke from their millions of years of slumber, what what caused that? How did that happen? And it, we, we sort of came in mid-adventure for them in some ways. Now, maybe this is me as an old school fan 
wanting stuff that a casual audience doesn't want or need. And, and I need to acknowledge that, but I did think it was a waste of them. And, and a shame given how well they were depicted. And, and they went to the trouble of giving us the 1970s Sea Devil scream when they got killed. Now, that, that was really cool. Uh, the voices were a bit different, but I'm kind of relaxed about that because I think if you try to do a whole episode with the Sea Devils talking yes. like sea, it would have actually got quite boring quite quickly. So I, I, I thought that evolving their voice did make sense. That's a very good impression. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, now, you mentioned Yaz briefly uh, a moment ago. Oh, she's amazing. Did you know that she's the greatest person ever? <laughs> Dave, my notes here say, Oh, Yaz, you are so good. You're the bestest ever. <laughs> Just keep telling us that, Rob. Just keep telling us. Yes, we're back to this unearned thing that they had Graham start doing back in The Timeless Children. Yet Yaz has been a very mediocre companion. Indeed, for the first two series, she was the third wheel. I mean, go back, dear listener, and listen to our hot takes on those episodes. We're not making it up. She really was. We were forever pointing out, Yaz, you barely do anything. Just having other characters, and in this episode, the Doctor, no less, saying she's great, doesn't retrospectively make her great. Given that this was an episode that uh, resurrected a 1970s monster, I thought it was very... Interesting that they resurrected basically the 1970s companion template, which is Yaz's job in this was literally to pass the doctor stuff and ask her questions. Yeah, and, and that's fine. Like that in in a fast adventure where you know it's very much focused on the doctor and the doctor got to be the star and that's great. There wasn't much room for Yaz other than to say, Doctor, what's this? Doctor, why are we doing this? Can you pull that for me? Yes, yeah, no worries. But then to sort of back it up with, Oh my God, you're so amazing! Look at what you've done today. Like, you didn't do anything. <laughs> It's 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 quite quite cringe. Yeah, and look, we we can't go past mentioning Yaz without mentioning the love story, similar to Yaz being the unearned bestest ever. This love story that's been shoehorned in towards the end of the Whitaker era still feels off to me. I I was actually grateful that the Doctor was more reticent, mentioning that she's married, mentioning that you know things end, so she doesn't really want to get involved. But why why she's even thinking about Yaz at all doesn't ring true to me. As I've said on the show, since this thing started happening, it's getting put in there, I think, just so it can be a scene in the regeneration episode to bring DeFeels, you know, oh, Yaz, I've always loved you because you're the bestest ever. And the thing is, that sort of thing is only going to resonate with the small group who are really into it. I think everyone else is going to vomit in the next episode, Dave. I read the scene slightly differently. Okay. And I read it as a very classic... I'm letting you down gently because I'm not into you. It was very much that, look, if I was going to date anyone, it'd be you, but uh, I'm just not into dating right now. And uh, I sort of felt that that was okay. Mm. Uh, Look, look, my views are pretty, pretty well known. I'm not into the doctor having relationships with companions. And that goes for any doctor of any gender with any companion of any gender of any time and any place. Um, (laughs) Just, it's just not what I want from the show. And, and we've, we've explored that many, many times. I think our views are well known. So I have no interest in this scene, but I didn't read it as a requited love that couldn't be acted on. I read it as unrequited because the doctor's just not there or interested. And since Dan gave the doctor the, Heads up, hey, I think that Yaz is into you. She's like, okay, what's the quickest, easiest way to just get myself out of this? Interesting. We'll know in the next episode. Well, we might. That, that, that could be the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, it will be. <laughs> um, unless unless the Doctor's turning down of Yaz is what sends her to the dark side. Oh, right. And Yaz is the Rani. 
I was going to say, like, she hooks up with the master or something, but yeah, we can do that. All right. Uh, speaking of companions, Dan was in this episode. I think he, I can was, say was that. He? Was he? Yeah. <laughs> it seems some people enjoyed the way he was dressed, and even the episode seemed very proud of itself for that. But to me, it came across, you know, when you see people or you meet them and they're wearing some sort of pretentious outfit or some sort of look-at-me accessory, like maybe they're wearing bright blue reading glasses. And you sit there thinking, you know, just because you're wearing that doesn't make you interesting. This was similar for me. The ridiculous outfit doesn't bypass the fact he was just pretty much bland for most of this. His quieter moments might get picked up on, like, oh, he's called to Diane. Although why you'd bother calling Diane is anyone's guess after the way she treated him last time. Or talking to Yaz about the Doctor again. And... The way he knew about the Flor de la Mar felt way too convenient for the plot. Dan, uh, I don't have much to say about him in this episode. It just seemed all over the place. Uh, so just to pick up on your last point first, mm-hmm. I wonder if that goes back to your earlier point about there being missing scenes. Was there an establishing scene in the TARDIS where they did land and the Doctor did say, oh, wow, we're in... 19th century China oh we're here let's go look for the legend of this and Dan would say oh I read about that as a kid or something and then they said let's go get into pirate dress and maybe there was a scene there that was cut out because I I did think that they did burst out of the TARDIS quite well prepared and quite well dressed yes so yes I think there might have been a scene missing there Uh, look Dan has become the guy who does quips Mm. that's that's his character now in the same way that Graham became the guy who does soul-searching, touching speeches, Dan is the guy who does quips. Now, the advantage for Graham is that he was very, very good at delivering very touchy-feely, soul-searching speeches, and and that's a very good character thing to have. So Graham walks out of that being quite a well-liked and well-versed character. Just being the quip guy, or just being the comic relief uh, isn't, and so I think Dan gets the shorter straw out of that. Uh, did he do it all fine? Did he do his roles fine? Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't have a problem with Dan in this episode. I just thought he didn't have a lot to do. But but again, if now and then we have an episode where the Doctor is all about the plot and he's really driving the plot and he's the hero, which again has been lacking a lot in this era, if, if that means that it comes at the expense of Dan, that's an expense I'm willing to pay because I thought the Doctor did get to be the star. And, and in fact... Should we talk about the Doctor? Sure. Although I was going to say one more thing about Dan. He's graduated from frying pan to sword, it seems, and seemed to cleave about half a dozen sea devils at one time. I thought, really? (laughs) That was a bit odd. It did feel as though they knew that time was running out in the episode. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it it did feel a little bit like, oh, we've got six minutes, no time for a sword fight here. Done. Okay, move on. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, the Doctor. The Doctor. As I said, I just want to reiterate that point. I've had a lot of complaints over the course of Jodie Whittaker's era as the 13th Doctor about her not really driving the plot and not always being the star of her own show, Mm. particularly because they've had to divide up all the lines and all the time in relatively short episodes amongst a very large TARDIS team and guest cast. On this occasion, they, as I said, chose to sacrifice some time and some plot for Yaz and for Dan, and give that time over to the, to the Doctor. She did have the lion's share of the plot. She did get to do things. She got to go back two centuries to, to, to the other ship. She did get to defeat the Sea Devil. She, she got to do a lot of things and drive the plot. I thought that was a welcome bonus 
for the 13th Doctor, and I'm very happy to see that. And I thought that Jodie Whittaker did it all perfectly well, because we know she's a perfectly capable actress. I did think that the lack of giving her a really good sword fight at the end was a huge missed opportunity. I think mm. everybody sort of said when we saw that the Sea Devils were coming, I hope Jodie gets to have a classic Doctor sword fight. It's a shame she didn't, but she got to drive the plot. And again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to diss things I've been asking for. All right. Well, let me throw a cat among the pigeons there Uh-oh. when we when we talk about plot. <laughs> this has the same resolution as the Timeless Child, where in that episode, Ko Sharmas stepped in to do the heavy lifting and sacrifice himself at the end of the day. And this time around, Ji Hun steps in and says, I'll do it, and gives the Doctor a neat exit. I mean, how convenient, Dave. Now you say that, mm-hmm. it's incredibly obvious. <laughs> Thank you. I think that this was better earned than Timeless Child. Right, okay. I I, I think that where that character was and what that character had experienced, I think that that was an earned moment much more than the Timeless Child where someone we'd kind of forgotten about and didn't really have a character literally just like ran in from stage left. It's all right, I'm here now. Um, (laughs) I I thought this was a natural progression. So you're totally right on your observation. I'm okay with it this time. So, because Ji Hoon has realised he's a man out of time and this isn't his time anymore, that's that's a good reason to, to go. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and the fact that he'd already chosen to put himself in danger to save his crew, that showed the sort of character that he was. The fact that he spent 200 and something years in the Bacta tank, mm. you know, just <laughs> probably meant that, you know, he'd accepted that his time had come to an end. He probably wanted, you know, wanted death. Mm. Um, I, I, I kind of read it as a natural thing for that character to want to do and, and for the Doctor probably to realise as well that, yes, he is out of time and there isn't going to be a happy ending for this character. So um, although they could have done a bit more with it, I, I, I thought it was earned. Alrighty. Rob, one last point from me, and this is a bit of a negative. Mm. I wrote down here the words, what are these accents? Right. And, and uh, there were a few times there where I thought that some of these Chinese characters might have been Scottish. They might yes. have been Cockney. I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm not remotely fluent in Mandarin, but I do know a little bit, and I've spent some time in Taiwan. And I was a little bit concerned both by the accents and some of the pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also a little bit interested in the use of some of the Chinese iconography. I thought it was nice that we had an episode not set in Britain, not set in Europe, but actually set in Asia in a different time. Uh, again, could they have done a bit more with it and made it feel a bit more Chinese? I thought so. But mm. as we discussed in our list makers on Top 5 Historicals just a week or two ago, that's not Doctor Who. This is modern television. Modern television, everyone in history from everyone in history is just like us lads. I reckon there was another 10 minutes in this, honestly. If it had been the right 10 minutes, this could have been awesome. Had it mm. been another 10 minutes of tribunal exposition, it would have destroyed the episode. Mm. Well, look, on that note, why don't we go to the sports desk? Fantastic. Right here we are at the sports desk. If you've never heard this before, we look at the play of the week, the foul of the week, and the MVP of the week. Dave, would you like to kick us off with your play of the week? My play of the week, I've really intimated about already, but it is the moment where the chief sea devil arrives on board the ship with a whole crew of sea devils, mm. and I just thought that looks really cool. 
It sounds really cool. Just this whole army of a really great classic monster looking really good, brought into the 21st century. That was a nice shot. It was a nice idea. I enjoyed seeing the Sea Devils, even if I think they could have had more depth. Right. Mine is uh, Sea Devil related as well, except it's Ji-Hun putting his sword through the chief Sea Devil. And I thought to myself, at last, someone is acting realistically in this piece. You know, these guys have imprisoned him for hundreds of years. They're dangerous. And he has a sword. Of course, someone from that era is going to run the Sea Devil through. That moment stood out head and shoulders above anything else in the episode for me. I actually considered having that down as my one as well. So I also thought that was a very good moment. Yes. Also, runner-up was the initial Sea Devil attack on the village. Although it was filmed a bit oddly, there wasn't a lot of choreography. It was very tight shots of just swords flashing around. It did show Sea Devils to be really dangerous too. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a really good point. You start off going, these guys are badass, and that's a good thing. Mm. Moving on to Foul of the Week, I'll take lead here. I think the script, and specifically the script appearing to miss scenes, which we've been talking about, is my Foul of the Week. When the runtime is only 48 minutes, and as I said earlier, three minutes of that was probably the credits in the next time trailer, you've got room to manoeuvre. Stuff seemed so rushed in places, or not well described. I still don't know what the the gem was all about that could do everything. It was just a magical gem, I guess. It felt like stuff had been cut out. It felt messy. It felt scrappy. And all of this starts with the script. Uh, Fair enough. Look, I had a couple of options for my foul. I could rant here again about the lack of backstory and real depth to the Sea Devils, but I've already done that. So I'm going to go with a simpler one, which is the shot of the flying Sea Devil. That's my (laughs) runner-up! That having having just sort of sat there through the statue stuff and a few other things and gone, oh, the CGI is a bit off this week. To then have that shot of just the really, really like statuesque, two dimensional, just you know, composite of flying sea devil under the shot. I just thought, oh, that's bad. Yeah, it, look, uh, my note was it seemed to be there just to cover how he could quickly get onto that ship. It's not something that really adds to the race or that I think they're really thinking about you know these these guys have never been able to do this before but now they can but it's only there so he could get on the ship you know that's not good enough for mine yeah it it was a pretty embarrassing moment all right MVP do you want to kick us off Dave uh yeah look my MVP is going to Arthur Lee who played Jin Hung Hmm. and that's because I thought of all the cast he was the one who was taking this the most seriously he was the one that I felt really was trying to bring the time and the place and the, the vibe of the, the story into the story. I thought he was really doing a good job. I thought, as I, as I said earlier, his his demise was a well-earned natural progression or natural end to the character. So I, I thought he was it was the standout of the episode for me. Look, I, I, I haven't picked him, although I can agree with you there, because, you know, for an episode that's ostensibly about Madam Ching, the great female pirate captain of all these hundreds of years ago that we know nothing about i felt i knew more about ji hun to be honest he certainly had a lot more character and a lot more yeah. motivation i think don't think there's any doubt about that yeah all right meanwhile my mvp is going with the costume designers and to a lesser extent the special effects folks this time i think this episode broadly looked really good i think the costumes were lush the redesigned Sea Devils were sympathetic to the past and didn't try to reinvent the wheel. And the effects in places, because we discussed this earlier, were quite all right. And I'm particularly thinking of the TARDIS under the sea, which I think looked really stunning there. So it, it goes to all those folks. I think they're the real heroes of this episode. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that because you're right, there were some great looking shots and some great filmed shots punctuated by some really bad CGI here and there. Yes. <laughs> Shall we move on to word of the week? Uh, yes, Rob, you said blender. I did say blender, Dave. And that's because this felt like a lot of ideas and possibly even some good ideas had been put through a blender and the result was very, very mixed up. You know, the ingredients are still there, but now that they're all squished together, I'm not so sure. That's not unfair at all. My word was anticipation. Yes. And that is because I think that this year is going to be all about the anticipation and not the delivery. I think Eva the Daleks was a really cool trailer that completely failed to deliver. I think this was an exceptionally cool trailer that didn't quite deliver what we expected. And I think that for most of the uh, feedback that I've seen on social media, not that I've gone looking, but I, I did scroll through a bit before I watched it, most of the feedback was, I'm really looking forward to the next episode once again. So once again, they're doing anticipation really, really well. They are indeed. Now, Dave, before we get to our summary on the episode, I think we do have to just briefly say that there is a Next Time trailer that had some very exciting stuff in it, like Tegan and Ace, for example. But what if we save our thoughts on that for our monthly episode? Yeah, I think there's a lot going on in that trailer. There's a few things there that uh, I've seen people assume that I don't think necessarily hold up and, and may not be correct. And there's obviously some very exciting stuff in there. I guess this counts as news. And we do a full news segment on our monthly show, which we're recording in about 36 hours. So yes. <laughs> let's let's go in depth then. Um, plug, plug, plug. Please turn into our main show in a week. Please and thank you. In summary, I've no doubt that some people will have loved this episode, Dave. It moves at a pace to its detriment, I think, but it does move. It looks good. It seems to work on a superficial level. And for some people, that's all they need. But when you scratch the surface, even just a little bit, and start asking questions of the thing, like how did this happen, or what will be the knock-on effect of that, the answers aren't really there. It's extremely basic. And look, I almost gave it a 6 out of 10, but I don't think I can go past a 5 out of 10 this week. I pretty much agree with everything you've said there. And that's interesting, given that we've disagreed on a number of dot points sort of throughout this discussion. Mm. I think that you're absolutely right. It is a very superficial monster of the week run around in 19th century China. And I'm happy to take it as that and say, I enjoyed that run around. And given the number of 13th Doctor Chibnall era stories where I have been bored, I'm happy to just not be bored. Maybe I've lowered my benchmarks a bit for this era, but, you know, sort of having decided I haven't really got to enjoy or like the 13th Doctor. She hasn't yeah. really worked for me. Maybe, yeah, my standards are a bit lower, but it was a lot better than Eve of the Daleks. It was easy to watch. It was fun. I'll give it that. So I'll give it a 6 out of 10, but mm-hmm. fully noting that I agree with you, scratch the surface, and you can pull this apart. Mm, big time. Now, look, to finish, one of our listeners actually started a poll. So go and see Claire Louise Hatton on Twitter for that. She's at AstroZombie76. And as of this recording, Dave, I'm going to refresh my screen and tell you what she's come up with. She's asking people, you know, what they thought of Legend of the Sea Devils. There have been 97 votes so far. 40% say it was okay. 30.9% say it was rubbish. 13.4% say they loved it. And 15% say they haven't seen it yet. So of that, 
over 70% of people say rubbish or okay. 13% say loved it. That's really interesting. I did have a look at the official Twitter feed where they, somebody tweeted out, what did we think of Legend of the Sea Devils? And there were a whole bunch of accounts that I've never heard of, never heard from, don't know anything about, that were all very positive about the episode. So I think this is one that will probably hit a lot better with the general viewer than it mm. does with the hardcore fan. Yeah, agree, especially on questions relating to Sea Devils. Yeah, I think I think so. And that's what the show is there to do. So... I think that's fine. I, I, I'm Fine is my word of the week. Not anticipation. It's fine. <laughs> Very good. And on that bombshell, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you in our monthly episode very soon. Goodbye. Bye now. You've been listening to The Doctor Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show! We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at thedwshow.net. <laughs>